Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. And there you have it, that riveting theme. It grabs you by the lapels, shakes you, and wakes you up to news of the world. And, of course, you know who this is. This is your incomparable – see, I'm going to use that. Incomparable. I like that word. Incomparable host, John Hansen. This is, of course, the PI Window on the World show. Now, you know, we had a show scheduled today, and I'm, I'm waiting to see uh, whether or not we're, we're going to be able to go ahead with it. I won't tell you who the guest is, uh, but I hate it when people are late. You know, you gotta you gotta call in on time. But nonetheless, why don't we do this? Well, we're waiting for the call in. I'm just kidding, by the way. Don't be afraid to call in now. I'll be very nice to you. But while we're waiting for the call in, uh, there's some breaking news stories that I think are pretty interesting. And and one of the stories is the Hackett Group's acquisition of Jibe Consulting. Now, I'm sure I'm sure you know you've seen this or have heard the, that this is, has happened. But you know, it, it raised a number of questions, and I reached out to. Uh, to, to the hacking group to see if they'd be uh, willing to come on the show. I mean, I'm, again, I'm a nice fellow. I don't bite. You can't bite over the airwaves anyway. And, I, and there's a couple of questions that I want to ask. So I, I reached out and said, listen, I want to do an interview. And I received a call from their, uh, their uh, communications, global communications uh, director. I like that, global communications director. That's important. And I want I wanted to see if we could do an interview. And I talked to the uh, gentleman earlier this week. And, uh, you know, we're saying, well, what kind of interview would we be? You know, how would we talk about it? And one of the things he said to me, which was kind of interesting, is that, uh, you know, this, uh, the show of yours and your coverage is volatile. And I've got to admit, I've, I've never, ever thought of myself in the terms of, 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 of volatility uh, relative to how I cover the, the, the industry. Yes, I do go into uh, areas that, that others fear to go, but nonetheless, uh, you know, some of these stories are very, very important because I think we have to inform and empower uh, people uh, to to see what's going on with the people behind the industry itself. Let's get beyond the specifications. Let's get beyond all of those areas there. And I, I think that's really a key part of uh, a really a key part of all of this. Anyway, so I reached out for them. I'm going to keep you posted on uh, whether or not that uh, that interview will happen. But I want you to pay attention to uh, to an article that was posted in, uh, today uh, in the uh, in the media uh, world about Volkswagen's uh, media boss saying he will not deal with consulting consultant firms like uh, Deloitte or Accenture. Uh, he wants to deal with the actual pros in the in 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 terms of advertising and 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 that such thing, and so that's kind of an interesting element to that because I think that does tie into what's happening with the hack and jibe and why I think the consulting firms like the Deloitte's uh, et cetera should be concerned by that. Now, without further delay, let me let me bring on today's guest, um, Christoph. How are you? Hi, John. How's it going? 
Not too Can bad, thanks. I, I was doing a little preamble uh, because uh, you're a little late calling him, but not to worry about that. Uh, you know what? Let me let me ask you this, and, and right off the bat, because the, the, the focus of today's show is, is procurement good for the environment? And, you know, uh, Christoph Wolfert, you're the CEO of a company, and I, forgive me because I didn't have a chance to ask this. It's every CIS or is it every CS? How do you pronounce your company name? It's Everix, like an X at the end. Everick. Everick. Okay. You see, I would have never saw that, but I'm sure I'm not the first one to ask that, right? That that's unfortunately true. You know, when we when we did that name, we asked every native English speaker around and they said, Yeah, it's Everick. And then when we settled on that name, every other English speaker said, How do you pronounce that? <laughs> well, you see, I'm looking so at him saying, is it every CIS? Because I thought it was an interesting twist, or is it every CS? But nonetheless, you've got some interesting news because you formed a partnership with environmental consultant Green Data to connect to your maker, maker site platform. And uh, really, it has uh, impact on a number of areas. So let's do this because I've got a number of questions, but maybe if you could just give us, uh, my listeners, uh, a one-minute overview as to a little bit of, of what your company does because they may not be familiar with it and why this, uh, this, this partnership with Green Delta is so important. Uh, you bet. Thanks for the opportunity, first of all. I'm calling in from, from London. We have a couple of customers in the U.S. So, yes, you know, Eric, we formed the company uh, on, a, on a simple premise. We think uh, product intelligence is a thing just like business intelligence is a thing, but product intelligence hasn't really been framed as such, right? A lot of money goes into BI and investments and so forth, but um, the truth of the matter is there's an awful lot to know, to learn, and to improve about making product. After all, that's why companies exist. And uh, in today's world, that's a complicated affair. So everyone that makes a product needs to, you know, has great ideas, needs to figure out many things such as what are my costs and what are my suppliers and what are my customers? How big is the market and where do I make it? And what's my environmental footprint and, and so on and so forth. And, and all of these questions take time to resolve, right? So and in today's market where speed is so important, who's the first to market? Complexity, of course, is the adversary to speed. So we thought we need to figure out a way where we can make this process of, you know, how can you get answers out of data regarding making products and making them better? How can you make that more seamless, faster, easier? All right. So here's the here's the thing, and I've got to do that. And, and again, to frame this, in case my listeners out there, you, you didn't pick up my first part of this, is that, again, we're talking about uh, socially conscious or environmentally smart procurement and 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 so in in the context of what Christoph you're saying is is that the key is is making sure that you have the right information at the right time to make the best possible decisions which hasn't always been the case in the past well let, let me ask you this question because I, I want to go back to the very beginning because I started covering uh, you know what you, what you call green procurement or socially conscientious procurement back in in 2007 2008 this is about a decade mm. ago and you know I, I wrote papers and articles on what I, what I called sustainability fact fiction. And I talked about the emergence of the triple bottom line, which is people, profit, and planet. I know you're familiar with that. Right. And it's relation to full cost accounting methodology. And one of the things that came out very, very interesting is way back then, 
the view of being green, the, the view of doing things on a sustainable basis relative to, to procurement in general, let alone getting into the manufacturing process, is that many people in, in the context of the triple bottom line said, well, we're doing it because it's the right thing to do or we feel good about it. But we're not necessarily sure it's economically viable or, you know, we're doing it because we have to. It's like that old analogy, Christoph. I take cod liver oil not because it tastes good, but because it's good for me. Has the industry changed right. over this past decade? And during and, and if it has, to what degree has that helped to facilitate the, 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 the interest and the awareness of your organization and what you're doing now uh, in conjunction with Green Delta? Yes. You know, I think it's it's a great arc to describe the last 10 years because I do think it has fundamentally changed. You know, I, if I can sum it up, I'd say that the, the battle for sustainability, yes or no, has been won, right? The, the boardrooms are convinced, the investors want to know, the, the consumers are going for it. So it really is a question of how, not of if. And that becomes now a very operational question because you need to tackle questions that are of some level of complexity. So, for example... How sustainable is your supply chain? Am I compliant? Is there a chemical risk? Um, am I you know, getting stuff into my product that, that shouldn't be there? And, and so on and so forth. And these are really tough operational questions. They're not easy to answer. They require a lot of data. Uh, and uh, so, you know, in essence, to your question, yes, I think it has changed. I think financial and non-financial performance are the two sides of the same coin. I think that's accepted. But how do you put it into practice? How do you make that easy instead of sort of a massive headache? That's, that's the order of the day. And so our, okay, you know, our, um, our partnership, yeah, go ahead. No, but you see, and I, just to take that a little further, because in, in in one of the surveys relative to the paper that, that 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 I had written, they talked about the fact that government is less driven than the private sector by financial constraints and profit making, and you know, so let's drill down a little bit deeper. Is there a difference or a transformation that goes beyond the public sector to extend into the private sector now? Is that line that existed ten years ago, which may have given well, first of all, do you even agree with that statement that ten years ago the public sector was more inclined to adopt these kinds of policies and be more aware of this than the private sector. Do you agree with that? And if you do, has there been a transition made now where uh, you know that, that, that hard line between the two is sort of gone, and now both private and public sectors are equally focused upon doing the right thing, environmentally speaking? I think they are, uh, John. I think if, I, if you look at public procurement, I mean, it's no less cost-focused uh, um, than the private uh, sector would be, right? So, you know, there's even, if I look at it here from a European standpoint, there's minimum thresholds where you have to, you know, go out for public procurement. It has to be tendered. It's very much in the U.S. it's the same thing, right? You know, cost does matter, but budgets are tight, whether it's in the corporate or in the, in the private sector. But I do think that both the financial and the non-financial performance of, of what is being procured now has an influence on who comes out on top on the tender. So for example, uh, from a procurement, from a public procurement standpoint, it's, it's things like not just green procurement, I'd say it's more sustainable procurement, meaning it's not just the environmental impact, it's also social impact, right? So, um, you, you know, are, are workers' rights protected? Is there, um, you know, a good socially responsible, uh, uh, you, you know, are social standards being maintained and so forth? So that is very much part of a tender Formally, I think both in the U.S. 
um, and and in Europe alike. So yeah, you know, the world has quite okay. Now this, sorry, sorry, I've got to interrupt this. Sorry, I've got to interrupt you here because mm-hmm. you see, you raise an interesting point. So there has been a, tr- a transformation, if you will, that it's moved from being the right thing to do to being the smart thing to do, and that the public and private sector are sort of moving, if if not in complete uh, tandem with one another, certainly the 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 gap between the two have, have narrowed. If I understood you correctly, uh, two questions that come from this, Christoph, is is there's the financial one. I'm going to get to that a little bit. In, in just a few moments. But you're saying at the beginning, you're saying, yes, there is a more awareness of the public in terms of, you know, it, it's no longer done behind the scenes, but but the public is now asking, well, are we dealing with a, a, a an environmentally or socially responsible organization? What's caused that change in the public standpoint now? I mean, I read recently that, for example, the, the up-and-coming millennials and this newer generations now are more focused upon the, 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 the moral fiber of the companies with whom they're buying product or from whom they're buying their products ultimately. I mean, is that having an influence factor there? I mean, a typical example, is there if you think about um, – yeah, I think I think there is. I think there's from a consumer standpoint, but also because you know a lot of things now make ex- economic sense, right? If you look at transportation costs and uh, w- which matter for fleets for for, for companies as, as much as they do for public transport in the public sector. Uh, if, if you look at um, uh, you know green and electric uh, vehicles and, and buses, which are were typically in the procurement cycle today. Um, there, there's no real you know, conflict uh, between uh, what makes economic sense and, and what makes sense from a sustainable procurement. On the contrary, uh, you could not get the best economical deal if you didn't factor into account um, the, the usage costs, which is very much uh, you know, about, about your, your, your fuel and your energy costs. Right? So I think in that sense, technology uh, you know, has brought us a long way as much as uh, say accounting capabilities where you can really look at data and say this doesn't have to sit on the shoulders of of good practice and morale. It, you know it can very much hold its own uh, in terms of you know, economic assessment. Does that make sense? You know what? I, 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 as I'm listening to you talk, one of the things that come to my mind is a lot of these right to do programs in the past usually had the obstacle to adoption as being. Uh, again, the process of actually doing it, like, for example, when the, the U.S. government and most governments turn around and said, look, we want to focus on uh, engaging more small, medium enterprises. They're the backbone of the economy. We need to make it a system that works better. And then you've got to be able or, or engaging uh, uh, women or minority owned businesses. But you have to be able to prove it right. in terms of the data and getting to that data. Yes. And one of the biggest roadblocks, again, was getting that data. Is that what you're talking about Absolutely. to a certain degree of why this this partnership with, with Green Delta is so important? Is what you're saying is, is, okay, look, the market sensibility has changed, so you're going to get pressure from the end consumer. Now you're looking at the fact is, is that it, it, it's no longer just the right thing to do, but as part of the manufacturing process, there's cost savings that are inherent to being able to do this by uh, by green. I'll use that. I know that's an oversimplification, Christoph, but just for the sake of that. And now you're saying is now what we've done is we removed the barrier of accessing the data to be able to not only make it easier to know if you are buying efficiently this way, but to also prove that the savings exist in there. I mean, is that really the progressive chain or have I missed something? You, you nailed it. You nailed it. So there's you know, some, some parts of that equation, of that data equation, are obvious, right? So the transportation cost, the energy cost, let's say, 
is is plain for everyone to see, right? So with kilowatt hour prices of renewables, you know, dropping on a on a monthly uh, basis, you know, six, five, three, four cents, that's an obvious one, right? Where it's less obvious, take the built environment. So buildings are where we spend most of our lives, yet we know very much, uh, you know, very little about them. So what is, for example, the toxicity level of the construction materials uh, that surrounds you? Is it good to be in the office where you're sitting or is it not so good? So in some parts of the product world, things are obvious, like in energy. In other parts, they're furiously complicated. I mean, think about everything that goes into a building. Now, when you are a builder, where your company, like let's say Google, for example, is one of the largest uh, you know, most expensive comp- expansive companies for, for office space, they just want to know, do we give our employees the, the best office environment uh, out there? If you look at a building envelope, there's an awful lot of products that go into a building, right? From the drywalls and the paints and the desks and all. It's very complicated. Now, to get to that level of data, to make that transparent, in order to make informed choices, that is a much harder thing to solve. And that's exactly why we partnered with, with Green Delta in order to make that kind of uh, you know, question you know, a, lot, a lot more seamless uh, and a lot more faster to answer so that people make informed uh, you know, choices on, on their materials. Okay, so, so realistically speaking now, there is no reason why uh, companies cannot buy smarter. You not only prove the fact that you have the technological insight and, and the ability to provide the data they need, to, but you can now prove it. That's really what you're saying. You can now actually pr- prove it to the bottom line. Because one of the things that was interesting, and, and, and there's always a gap between intent and outcome. Uh, and, and like, remember the Ford Motor Company back in 2006. I mean, they did a reverse on their commitment to make uh, SUVs that were more fuel efficient. And they're going to build 250,000 hybrid vehicles. And they backtracked with these initiatives uh, because there, there's also another element that I didn't touch on is they, it had a negative impact on the oil industry. So there was a conflict with regards to that. And, you know, one environmental advocate talked about the fact that, you know, even though it's ecologically sound to do, even though it makes sense now and you can prove it, what does that do to, to incumbent industries which may not necessarily be served better by having this capability? Do you know what I'm asking, Christoph? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I'm I mean, talking about the you know, politics say, of it. Right. I think it defines it, it depends a little bit on how you define what business you are in, right? So if you're in the if you're in the SUV business, well, let's say if you're in the fuel-powered car business, then that's one business. If you're in the transportation business, that may be encompassing of more modern drive chain technologies, right? If you are um, if you are in the uh, in, in the oil industry, okay, that's one industry. If you are in the energy industry. Uh, that may include you know, renewable energies and therefore open a completely different market perspective, right? So it depends a little bit of, of how old uh, energies uh, frame themselves. But yes, I mean, that's the innovator's dilemma. There's, you can always find yourself on the wrong side of markets, uh, market trends or, or technologies. The answer, you know, what you do in that situation is, I think, management teams have to make choices and informed choices really rely on data. So now the question is, how do you bring the right data together at the right time to make those informed choices? And, and that's really the hard part, right? It's not that management teams are stupid. 
On the contrary, it's about do they have the right information at their fingertips in order to make the right call? And, and that requires typically that you source data from multiple sources. So let me give you a practical example. Uh, if uh, you know the other day in the news there was there was uh, you know Apple and uh, and Apple uh, has a take back initiative that recovers the gold from 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 their devices. So it was reported that they recovered two thousand two hundred pounds of gold every year, which is about forty three million dollars. So that's a nice chunk of change. Now think about that as a material investment that goes into a product. So now you need to make a call. For example, do you replace the gold with something cheaper that you couldn't recover or to make a more expensive investment in a more expensive material like gold, which you can recover. That is a typical, typical I would say, everyday type of trade-off that not just Apple needs to make, but everyone who makes a product. Every product team that sits there has to think about which suppliers do we use, which materials do we use, what is uh, the best uh, you know, shipping route that we do, right? So in supply chains, you have to make these choices all the time. The reality is that the information to make these informed choices resides in many different places. It's all over the place, right? So you have the cost guy who knows cost. You got the supply chain guy who knows supply chain. You got the compliance guy who understands compliance. You got the material people who are experts in materials. The question is, how quickly do you bring all this information together so that you know when you tweak one thing in one end, you see what the effect is on the other side? And that's hard today. That's what takes people time. That's where John needs to go down the corridor and talk to Bill about what his findings are. And then they work in different systems. And then, kind of, yeah, you see what I'm saying? So that time is typically lost at the beginning of an innovation cycle, when you make something new. Time's never lost when you go to market and everybody knows what to do. Time is nearly almost lost when you're at the beginning in your definitional cycle and you need to explore so many things at the same time and that information is just residing all over the place. Am I making sense? Yeah, no, I, and I understand this and I understand the movement and, 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 and I can see the chain as I alluded to earlier. But going back to the other side of it, is part of the capability to even get to that stage? And you talked about the innovator's dilemma where you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. But going back to the SUV world with the oil industry, and they're, they're a pretty big organization. They carry a lot of lobbying weight. Is there the shift in the political landscape where those who are on the wrong side of uh, the, the innovator's dilemma – uh, is, is it opening up more? Like, what are going to happen? Who are, the, who are the companies who are negatively affected by what you're doing? You know what I'm saying? Or have those obstacles well, been I removed? Think... I mean, the oil industry was a huge obstacle uh, to the point where Ford backtracked on their commitment to build hybrid vehicles, to make more energy efficient or fuel efficient uh, you know, cars or, or SUVs. I mean... Are those obstacles gone today? Are they still there? Or, or, or is that also another element as to why you're able to progress now where you are? I, I think there's always going to be lobbying, uh, right? So I, I don't want to speak for one or, or against another industry. I mean, there's always people who try to defend the status quo. I think, that, I think that's okay, that they're right, and, and, and they should. But what's the answer? But why would they? The why would they? Why would they, given this logic? 
I, I understand about money and whatever else, but and I'm not asking you to name companies or whatever, but I mean, what industries, right. and this is the thing that's interesting, because by removing this political roadblock, which was really the, what I would consider to be the final frontier stumbling block on all that, because you, again, you've, 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 you've streamlined the entire process, you've made it cost efficient, you've now been able to move it from being a good thing to do, a feel good thing to do, being a smart thing to do. But in that transition, I mean, that final gate, I always considered it to be those who were on the opposite side of the innovator's dilemma. And I use that Ford as an example. I mean, are those obstacles now gone? I mean, there's always going to be people there, but is that one of the reasons why companies like yours are moving to the forefront? I don't think obstacles are entirely gone. I think the transparency now is there to make the right choices. And in, in our case, let's say, to make, um, to, to remove what was previously maybe a more acrimonious relationship between financial performance and your non-financial performance, right? So before that was like, you do one or the other and, and you can't have both. The reality is, you know, people, it's not just about doing less bad, it's about doing more good. So when you have a proposition on a product, like your SUV, which is, let's say, you know, electrified and doesn't uh, you know, damage the environment, and doesn't have the health concerns, you 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 know you you don't have a, an adversarial choice to make anymore, right? And that's and that's I think the good news in the times that we live in is like you know with the help of technology, what seemed to be previously you know a trade-off now just isn't one anymore. Will you always have you know winners? No, some people are going to lose out, but. Uh, I, I think that the, you know, I'm much more optimistic, let's say, when it comes to doing the right thing, um, being part of corporate uh, agendas, um, uh, you know, becomes a lot easier. I love the way you're saying that. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. But I love the way you're saying this because it's, in other words, this transparency uh, and, and the fact is, let's face it, the advent of social media, word gets around very quickly. I mean, look what happened with Volkswagen and, and, and right. that uh, that uh, scandal there. I mean, so ultimately, uh, it's easy to be magnanimous when you don't have a choice, right? And everyone's watching. Right. So, right. so realistically speaking, right. the, the, the awareness of the public and the fact is, is that you can no longer sort of shield certain things uh, from the public, especially a public who I think it's safe to say now. I don't know if you'd agree, is a little bit more informed about the products they're buying and they look into it more. Uh, I mean, you look at all the commercials with coffee companies saying we buy, you know, fair trade and, and all these things. So it, realistically, it isn't a change by these these uh, uh, companies on or industries on the wrong side of disruptive innovations. The fact is that the public now is more aware of them. And given that, they have no choice but to step aside. I'm, I'm not sure if step aside is the right word, but, but I guess what you're saying. I mean, that's really all those things coming. It's been sort of the perfect storm coming together for you, hasn't it? It's you know we we maybe one additional element on the on the cost side because I think that's of interest to your to your listeners is is, is a good one you know the if you think about ten years back to use your time frame there was a lot of um, I'd say a more acrimonious relationships between suppliers and, and vendors right and not that things are completely hunky dory but if you work together with a supply chain in terms of innovation in terms of getting the bad out of the supply chain and getting mitigating the risk 
you know, the, the cost part of the discussion just becomes relatively, I'd say, not minor, but, you know, very transparent, right? And there's a lot more to be had when you understand what the cost structure of a certain product is that you're buying, because then you can focus on, you know, what, what are the other you know, elements of, of that equation that, that we should be looking at. So, for example, innovation, for example, you know, swapping out certain materials, for example, mitigating risk, looking at locations and so forth, right? So when, when this kind of data is on, the, is on the table and you can protect intellectual property and you get a constructive discussion throughout supply chains of what can be achieved, I think that's the next level that we need to unlock that's you know the next level of collaboration that companies are looking at because it just gets you further faster. All right. Well, Christoph Wilvert, and I'm going to try to say the Everx uh, with a X sound, even though it's spelled the company is E V E R Y C S. It, it actually is pronounced as an X. Everx, correct? Did I get that That's right? right? There you go. You See, I practice now. I can't say it three times fast, but I practice. <laughs> We're going to keep an eye on your company over the next 12 months. In terms of how you've progressed, and uh, you know, you, you're, you're now positioned to really capitalize on all these factors coming together with the right solution at the right time. I think that's probably the safe way to say it. So, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for having us. Bye bye now. And for you, of course, my listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. I mean, you're sharing a valuable asset, which is your time. Uh, again, it, it, it's very interesting when we talk about green procurement because, again, before associated with, again, being the right thing to do. Now it's the smart thing to do. It actually is. Uh, anyway, check out uh, some of the breaking news stories. We talked about the uh, the uh, Hackett Group acquisition of Jibe, and certainly check out uh, Everix and, and other stories on the Procurement Insights blog. In the meantime, until I come at you over these same virtual airways again through our studios, Blog Talk Radio Studios in New York City, I'm your host, John Hansen. Have a great day. <laughs>